In 2014, Karen Lefebvre is at Mount Sinai Hospital, pregnant with twin girls. She's being heavily monitored because the pregnancy is complex and extremely high risk. At 26 weeks, a regular ultrasound spots a new unexpected problem, a possible heart defect in one of the twins, Charlie. Karen is sent to SickKids for more conclusive fetal imaging. Karen remembers that Charlie was so, so tiny. She was only five or six inches. I can't imagine her heart must have been the size of like a thumbnail. Karen's unborn daughter is diagnosed with a condition called transposition of the great arteries, or TGA. The main valves leaving the heart are reversed in position, which means the oxygen in her blood will be dangerously low when she's born. It's scary news. But Karen and her husband, Greg, are told that TGA is common as congenital heart defects go. Congenital means present at birth. Sick kid surgeons do about 30 of these corrective surgeries a year. Prognosis was fantastic. She would be just as active, just as mobile, and she could do everything that her sister could do. But several weeks later, as Charlie and her heart grow bigger in the womb, the diagnosis becomes more dire. Charlie now gets diagnosed with a a much more complex um, and a very complex heart condition that she needed to be in utero for as long as possible, simply because she needed to be as big as possible for her to survive a surgery once she was born. Shortly after delivery, Charlie will have open heart surgery, but it will be a temporary fix so that she can grow and gather strength for a second surgery, the big one. Her tiny heart will have to be dismantled, rearranged, and sewn back together. It's a rare, risky procedure, and Charlie might not survive it. Even a world-leading pediatric center like SickKids would only see a case like this every three to five years. The most seasoned surgeon would still be entering uncertain terrain. But what if surgeons could see a patient's heart before opening their chest, an exact reproduction that they could hold. Better yet, what if they could practice on the model heart? What would that mean for patients like Charlie? And how could it help less experienced surgeons in other hospitals in other parts of the world? Charlie's surgeon and radiologist were about to find out. You're listening to Sick Kids Versus, where we take you to the front lines in the fight for child health. I'm Hannah Bick, and this is Sick Kids versus surgical mortality. Pediatric heart surgery is one of the toughest specialties in medicine, and not just because a newborn heart can be as small as a strawberry. Unlike adult heart anatomy, which is predictable, a baby's congenital defects can be completely unique and totally wonky. Valves reversed, a whole ventricle closed off, holes between chambers. And in cases like Charlie's, it's the distinct combination of defects that requires a skilled surgeon. Someone with not just technical skills, but confidence, good judgment, and stamina, all of which come with experience. My name is Glenn Powersdale. I am the chief of congenital heart surgery at the University of California, Los Angeles. Uh, Prior to that, I worked at SickKids from 1996 through 2018 and I was chief of cardiac surgery for 17 years. Do you remember Charlie Lefebvre's heart? 
I do remember Charlie's heart. Charlie was one of those where we struggled with the diagnosis. Charlie's diagnosis was complex. Not only were her main arteries swapped, but they both came out of one side of the heart. One of them was quite narrow, and there was a hole between the bottom chambers. It all added up to the same overall prognosis. Her blood oxygen would be too low, which would eventually cause heart failure and death. But the surgery to correct her heart went from straightforward to remarkably intricate. The operation we did for her was, you know, an unusual one. I've probably been involved in about 15 of them in my career, and that's a career in a high-volume place. Volume is important in surgical programs. Studies have shown that the best results for complex heart patients come out of hospitals, like sick kids, that perform at least several hundred surgeries a year. Enough that surgeons would encounter the whole spectrum of disease, especially the rare ones. And if you're a junior surgeon, you get to see these rare hearts in the OR. You might observe or help with one of the surgeries until you've built enough knowledge and confidence to do it yourself. This often takes years. So most people who want to become children's heart surgeons are going to spend eight to 10 years in clinical training after medical school to get there. But that's just the start. It takes four to seven years to become a full-service heart surgeon. I went through that type of process early on in my staff years. You start out doing more straightforward cases, and as your circle of confidence expands, then you do more complex cases. It's a, you know, bit-by-bit addition of complexity. The complexity of Charlie's heart demanded an experienced surgeon like Glenn at a world-class hospital like SickKids. But even Glenn would need all the help he could get. So he asked Charlie's radiologist to 3D print a replica of her heart. To really know what he was getting into, Glenn would need to hold it in his hands. SickKids breakthroughs are only possible with the incredible support of our donors. That's why we're proud to recognize CIBC as the premier sponsor of the SickKids Versus podcast. CIBC has been a champion for SickKids for over 30 years and is the largest corporate supporter of our cancer genetics program. The bank and its team members genuinely care about making a difference and support SickKids through events like CIBC Miracle Day and an active employee giving and volunteering program. My name is Xi Jun Yu, cardiac radiologist. I've been working for the last 21 years in SICKIS. A radiologist uses imaging to diagnose disorders. Xi Jun specializes in heart disease. He interprets pictures and data from cardiac ultrasound, CT, and MRI to detail a patient's disease. But it's not as straightforward as it sounds, especially for congenital heart defects. Actually, inside, Detailed anatomy varies tremendously. So it's not easy to really recognize all of this by just the studying. So all of this is really uh, the complicated puzzle. A congenital heart disease diagnosis often requires thousands of images of different segments of the heart at various angles. And that's just the pictures. There's also data, like how much space is inside a valve or how quickly blood can flow through it. To me, as an imager, 
I understand what's going on. But the problem is that yeah, I need to explain uh, this complexity of the anatomy. Really good images can save thousand words. That is true. But however, that does not mean that surgeons will be able to understand the very quickly. The images and words can confuse some people or can mislead. What if, if you have your really physical model in your hands? Shi Jun is talking about 3D printed models. SickKids got its first 3D printer in 2009. But even before then, Shi Jun had already recognized the enormous potential for 3D models to explain complex heart diseases in a way that 2D images can't. And there are times that I'm thinking, hmm, when I go to the operating room, I'll figure it out. Because it's just too hard to compute that in your mind. And you put the model in your hands and there's this aha moment. This is what it is. There's no question of trying to turn two dimensions into three. With a user's manual and help from a colleague, Shi Jun learned how to print hearts in his spare time. The early models were rigid, ceramic-like. They didn't look like what you or I would imagine, but to surgeons, they were a gleaming roadmap. Getting it in your hands is as close as it gets to what you're doing as a surgeon. All you have to do is hold it and look at where the holes are and where the routing are that you need to do it. All these kinds of things that we think about, do I need to make the hole bigger to route blood through it? Those things become obvious to you. When preparing for Charlie's surgeries, Glenn asked her parents if she, June, could print her heart. Of course, we agreed to it. And I was thinking, like, how amazing is this that they can at least get something, you know, in some tangible way without getting into, you know, physically getting in her chest. Between May and August 2014, Charlie had survived birth, months of intubation, and her first open-heart surgery. It worked beautifully. Her blood oxygen levels climbed, boosting her health for the next several months when she and Glenn would be ready for her big surgery. They had planned the second surgery for March the 5th, 2015. She was nine months old and still only 10 pounds. That morning, after squeezing in every last cuddle and kiss, Karen and Greg turned Charlie over to the surgical team. She was just like the happiest, just kind of rolling around. And I remember taking her hand and I was sobbing at this point. I had no idea if we were going to see her again. After more than 10 hours in surgery, Charlie not only survived, but she had a fully functioning heart. Everything had been rearranged, patched, and reassembled in one of the most complicated congenital heart procedures. The 3D modeling and planning was really helpful. I walked in knowing what I was dealing with, knowing what my options were, confirming what we found, and then doing what we had hoped to do. And when I started my career for these really complex arts, I used to have to go in with an algorithm and say, okay, if I find this, I'm going to do this. If I find that, I'm going to do that. And kind of have one, two, three, four. For Glenn, all credit goes to Shi Jun. Dr. Yu was probably one of the first to practically print hearts for surgeons. You know, he was really early in recognizing that that technology existed and figuring out how to do it. It's becoming much more common today, but 2015, it would have been quite unusual for people to print hearts. That year, Shijun's models have been used strictly for visualizing and planning. But 3D printing technology is improving quickly. The materials are better, and printer prices are dropping. 
Shijun is desperate for the hospital to get a new printer. But funding could take years, and he wants to stay on top of this fast-moving technology. So that's why at a certain point, by my wife's advice, actually, instead of waiting too long, June, why don't you use your money to explore what you like? So you decided to use your own money. Your wife, your wife convinced you. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. Shi Jun set up the printer in a rented office space across the street from SickKids. His new hearts are a huge improvement. They're softer and more pliable. It doesn't take long for Shi Jun and Glenn to ask themselves, what if surgeons could not only hold these models, but practice on them too? Seven weeks after Charlie's surgery, Shi Jun and Glenn are in Seattle. Word had got out about Shi Jun's hearts. He'd been asked to print 60 models for an annual meeting of American heart surgeons. Organizers wanted to run a pilot training session. For the first time, Shi Jun's hearts would be operated on. We learned quite a few things in that training session. One is it's not so easy to sew on these models. The materials lack the delicacy of human tissue and still have a ways to go to feel lifelike. But that would come. And it doesn't matter. Surgeons are simply thrilled to be able to lay hands on infant hearts with anatomically precise diseases. Shi Jun is certain that this is the first time in history 3D hearts are used for surgical practice. He and Glenn return from Seattle with the same striking idea. With Shi Jun's hearts and Glenn's expertise, they could develop and run their own surgical training course at SickKids. There wasn't any question about really feasibility of such uh, the course and then the, the really impact of this course on surgical training. About nine months later, in January 2016, they launched Hands-On Surgical Training, HOST for short. Ten junior and mid-career surgeons arrived at SickKids from around the world to practice on rubbery hearts with complex defects. Probe right there, and you got this coronary coming up this way. There were lectures and demonstrations, but mostly, trainees were bent over their models, cutting and suturing. It was a relaxed environment where mistakes were possible and not catastrophic. For a long time, there was this kind of accepted concept that there was a surgeon learning curve. But now, with advanced imaging and surgical technology, that's changed. In North America, in the Western world, that would not be acceptable for a surgeon to have a learning curve. In the developing world, that's a reality. And so, of course, uh, we want to make that learning curve as minimal as possible. If, for example, Charlie had lived in a different part of the world, in a region far from a capable hospital, her odds would be a lot worse. She might not survive. I could hold a 3D model in my hand, watch it, poke it, I understood it. You learn like more than you have read 10 books or listened to 10 talks. That's Dr. Gustavo Orellana, a surgeon from Guayaquil, Ecuador. He's done host a few times. When I was in the host, I did make a mistake. I closed the wrong hole. And if it was a real surgery, I would have killed the kid. But because it was training, I could learn my mistake, see how to correct it and never do it again. Gustavo has been doing pediatric heart surgery for about a year. He trained in Sao Paulo, Brazil, because Ecuador doesn't have a teaching hospital. He's now a junior staff surgeon at Roberto Gilbert Children's Hospital. It's one of six pediatric hospitals in Ecuador. 
but only two can do cardiac surgery and only one can do the complex cases. Wow. And so how many, how many pediatric heart surgeons are there? Three. There's three. And we have a 17 million uh, population inhabitants. So if a baby had a complex congenital heart disease and they needed surgery, they could only go to one place? Yes, yes. From all the Ecuador, they refer to our center. All Ecuador. A hospital like SickKids treats a high volume of complex cases because it's a referral center for the province and even nationally. At Gustavo's hospital, the complex cases arrive for different reasons. In Ecuador, our main problem is that we don't diagnose a prenatal. The kids come to our, our center when they are very late in the timeline of the disease. So it represents a bigger case, a more complex case. So if a patient like Charlie was born in Ecuador, doctors wouldn't know that her heart was severely malformed until she was born, blue and gasping. And by then, time and options are thin. At Gustavo's center, there's just one surgeon who could attempt that procedure. Gustavo, of course, would need several more years under his belt. Right now, I'm doing the easy cases, the straightforward cases. In the next years, I, I want to do neonatal surgery. So that's like my favorite thing in the world. But right now, I don't feel comfortable doing that because I can expose the kid to a higher risk doing it myself than my colleague that does it all day, all the time. You have to have the maturity to accept your limitations and, and grow. And when I feel ready, I'll do it. I know probably this year I won't be able to do that surgery. But when the day comes, I will remember all the steps I did to do it great. This is the nut of host, giving surgeons like Gustavo access to hearts that would take them years to observe in the OR. It will drastically fast track their abilities. I want to grow as a surgeon. And then I want to help my colleagues to grow and my service here to grow. We do have a, gr a good service. We do have a good hospital, but I want to be part of, of making it better. Host's ultimate vision is to help decrease cardiac surgical mortality rates around the world. That's the only way to flatten the mortality rates. That's the only way, I think. Because having to learn in a 3D model makes a big difference. The confidence you get as a surgeon to work with a complex pathology, that's amazing. Like I told you, that's a powerful tool that's priceless. Since its first run in 2016, HOST has become an annual event. With each year, there are tweaks and improvements. Recently, the hospital's lead 3D printing engineer designed an infant chest cavity to simulate the resistance a surgeon would feel during a procedure. Last December, during COVID-19 travel restrictions, host went virtual for the first time. Hearts were printed, boxed, and mailed to 34 surgeons on nearly every continent. It was the highest turnout yet, opening the possibility of a regular online course to make hosts more accessible. The course is expensive to attend. Models alone are between three and $500 each. That is already expensive, but that is not the only cost. Do these people need to fly to Toronto and then get accommodation? Host is also expensive to run, but key donor support has kept Host going and even expanding. In 2019, Host launched a new monthly course for surgical residents at SickKids. 
surgeons with little experience. One evening a month, they learn congenital heart disease anatomy and then practice different procedures. In the past few years, the host team has published several papers validating the use of 3D models in surgical training. They found that after practicing a procedure just once, at least 80 to 87% of attendees had better surgical results and almost all of them were faster the second time around. As host gains legitimacy and clout, it's not hard to envision the curriculum being packaged and delivered by any hospital in any country. It could become a standard part of surgical training. Host architects are hoping it will. Because there's room for progress. We still have major problems. We don't cure every child. And this is one facet of helping make the world flat, helping to make every child across the world have a better chance. From SickKids Foundation, this is SickKids Versus. Thanks for listening. If you want to support work like this, visit sickkidsfoundation.com slash podcast to donate. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Sick Kids Versus. Sick Kids Versus is produced by me, Hannah Bank, Neil Parmar, Jasmine Budak, Colin J. Fleming, and Jillian Savigny. This episode was written by Jasmine Budak. Sound design and editing by Quill. Production support by Aisha Barmania. For photos, transcripts, sources, show notes, and lists of donors, as well as staff who help make this breakthrough possible, visit sickkidsfoundation.com slash podcast.